It's summertime, and that means it's time to get outside and enjoy the weather with some crisp, refreshing Bud Lights. Bud Light has the perfect summer lineup with Bud Light Lime and Bud Light Orange, both brewed with real citrus peels. New and just in time for summer is Bud Light Lemon Tea, brewed with real lemon peels and tea leaves. It's the ideal drink for summer, but it's only here for a limited time, so get it before it's gone. And to really get you in the summer spirit, Bud Light is giving everyone the chance to win the getaway of a lifetime. You can win two tickets aboard a VIP cruise to the Bahamas this summer, featuring a live performance by Jake Owen, and of course, plenty of Bud Light. For a chance to win, simply post your Bud Light summertime photos using the hashtags RealEnoughToGetAway and hashtag BudLightContest on Facebook and Instagram. See BudLight.com slash RealEnoughToGetAway for more details. Hello and welcome to Ringer Dish. I am Amanda Dobbins. I am joined today by Andrew Gredadero and Kate Nibbs. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey. And we are here to talk about movie stars, which is really exciting because I love movie stars and is also notable because, you know what? We don't talk about movie stars as much as we used to on Ringer Dish. This is a podcast and a podcast feed about celebrities and fame and the history and industry that goes into that. And for a long time, movie stars fueled it. And in 2010, uh, not as much. So guys, Andrew, why are we here to talk about movie stars? What is the special occasion? I would say it's like the biggest, it's a blockbuster for movie stars. Uh, it's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes, Have it you is. heard of it? I have. <laughs> so is the ringer.com. Please check all yeah, week long. Yeah, we care. <laughs> we have a lot of content about it, but tell the people what Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is. I'm Rick Dalton. That's my stunt double. Actors do a lot of dangerous stuff. Cliff here helps carry the load. Sounds like a good friend. I try. They play the heroes. <laughs> but on July 26th, here comes trouble. We do what we came to do. Playtime is over. If you don't beat him, he kills you. Not when Rick Dalton's got a shotgun. From Quentin Tarantino. I love that stuff. Once upon a time in Hollywood, July 26th. Quentin Tarantino's latest movie about Hollywood in the 60s around the time of Charles Manson and Leonardo DiCaprio stars in it as a literal movie star and Brad Pitt is also in it as his stuntman. And so it's this movie about movie stars starring movie stars. It's peak Hollywood. Kate. Are Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt two of the most important movie stars in your lifetime? I would say Leonardo DiCaprio is the most important movie star in my lifetime. Wow. And Brad is up there. Yeah, I'm just that being was honest. Like, that was like a 100% leading question, like <laughs> podcast nonsense, and you really took it to the next level. Tell me why. I mean, because I was 11 or 12 when the film Titanic was released. Yeah, I saw it yeah. four or five times in theaters. <laughs> I'm not going to go into detail about the role that it played in my yeah. you know, awakening as an adult female, but it played a role. I, I had like unauthorized biographies of Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. He was just the like teen movie star when I was at a very impressionable age. Yeah, I should say that the lineup of this particular podcast is intentional and it is three people who were alive and allowed to see movies in theaters when Titanic was released because that yep. really was a 
foundational moment for our generation, which I'm going to say mid to old millennial. Do you guys accept that? Is, yeah, oh, yeah, I'll take okay. it. You, Embrace you fine. Okay. Uh, thanks for being in the mid to old bracket with yours truly. <laughs> yes. Leonardo DiCaprio, a huge kind of generation-defining movie star. And then I think alongside that is Brad Pitt. Maybe maybe I'm the old person who's going to talk about how Brad Pitt is like a generation-defining movie star. But in a, in a way, he is. And this is what we're going to talk about in the podcast. Kind of the, their careers and also their fame and the archetypes of movie stars that they are. But Brad Pitt is someone who probably off-screen is the best example of the last 20 years of like a movie star level of fame and investment in his life while also doing work. People don't really care about people in movies as much as they have cared about Brad Pitt in the last 20 years. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think on the flip side, the interest in Leo is a little bit different. I mean, mm-hmm. they've definitely they've definitely charted different paths in their personal lives. Yeah. I think it's fair to say. Like the the investment in Brad Pitt as as a celebrity is so tied up in his extremely high profile romances with equally high profile female celebrities mm-hmm. and and the Brangelina thing and everything with Jennifer Aniston that came before it. And then before that, you know, he was dating Gwyneth Paltrow. He was out there. Like, he has he ever dated a non-famous person? Not to my knowledge. So people have always been sort of drawn to, to him in that way, in a way, like, since Leo has basically planted his flag in the <laughs> just dating an anonymous rotating cast of young models. He hasn't really... Right. Uh, yeah. Seems purpose. Seems purposeful. Too. <laughs> it's, it's a strategy. Yeah. yeah and it's interesting. I, I, I want to go through all of this and we're just going to go through kind of the phases of their career and examine the choices that they made on screen and off and kind of how it adds to the legend of both these celebrities. But everything you just said is exactly right and is all things that happened not in a movie. And that for a long time was our definition of what a movie star is, which is someone who could hold your attention both on screen and off screen. It was someone that you would go see, um, you would go see a movie because that person was in it, right? You'd be like, oh, Tom Hanks is in a movie, I'll go see it. But there was always this added element of part of the reason you would go see it is because you were invested in that person, right? And you were invested in what they were doing outside of the movie. And Part of the reason Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and these two guys being a movie is so excited is because we don't really have movie stars like that anymore. It's not something that happens that often in 2019. Andrew, why is that? I guess it's a few things. One, like just culture is so fractured right Mm -hmm. now that everyone has their own people and there's not sort of these monolithic people at the front of at the front of pop culture. I think, you know, people get famous in different ways now. Mm-hmm. It's not sort of this, like, mythological uprising where suddenly Leonardo DiCaprio is the the face on the screen. It's sort of like Lil Nas X on TikTok and then suddenly <laughs> everywhere. So it's it's just like this different format now. And at least for our generation, it doesn't have the same pull. Whereas someone coming up from sort of viral fame is this 
this amorphous thing that's sort of hard to latch onto. Yeah. I think it is also that movies are a bit different and the role that movies play in our in pop culture is a bit different. You know, we have a whole podcast, the big picture that is like now devoted to fetching about how people don't go to the movies. <laughs> it's like literally every week it's just me and Sean being like, oh my God. And then people didn't go to the movies, which, you know, makes sense when you look at Netflix and you understand that how we watch things is very different. And also how they make movies. So now the big movie events are kind of IP driven. You're going to see Superman or Spider-Man or Batman or the Lion King. You're going for the recognition of the franchise itself as opposed to the people in it. And, you know, I don't want to be too absolutist about that because, like, Tom Holland is the new Spider-Man and I think he's, like, very, very famous and he's very famous because he's been in a lot of movies. But even if you were to compare Tom Holland in 2019 to Leonardo DiCaprio in 1998, it's slightly different. I think there's a lot more... He's famous because he's Spider-Man, you know? And Leonardo DiCaprio is famous because... He's Leonardo DiCaprio, or he was, which is a great segue into, let's let's just go back to 1998. Let's go to, we're going to examine the breakthroughs of both Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt and kind of talk about how they became famous, which is similar to how you become famous now and also really, really different. And Kate, I just, I'd like to ask you about Leo in the late 90s I and feel free to be <laughs> as personal and as frank as you would like to be. <laughs> I will be 100% honest with you. Um, what do you want to know? Because I know I know a lot about Leo's backstory, yeah. probably more than I should. We all know, if, if you don't know, he started out in television, actually. Mm-hmm. He was a, a like sort of recurring star in later season Growing Pains. Yeah. I didn't actually watch that. I think that was like a little... That wasn't when he came into my uh, like world. But then he starred in What's Eating Gilbert Grape and he and uh, This Boy's Life. Mm-hmm. Is that what it was called? The one where Robert De Niro is really mean to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and both of those roles, those were like really meaty character roles. So he established himself really early on as like the next sort of intelligent character actor before he sort of people realized that he was the next big heartthrob. Right. Like his acting bona fides were well established. He's also very young at that point. Yeah, he mm-hmm. was like 13 or something like yeah. that. Like he was he was a kid. He started just growing. He was very baby-faced. He, he started appearing in a lot of teen magazines. His public persona actually sort of surged ahead of his, his like acting roles as a heartthrob. When he finally starred in Romeo and Juliet, people were very excited about him. And then by the time Titanic came out, he was really... Before the movie was even released, he was already, like, America's hot young heartthrob. Listen, Rose. You're going to get out of here. You're going to go on. And you're going to make lots of babies. And you're going to watch them grow. You're going to die an old, an old lady warm in her bed. I'm a little bit older than you, Kate, but I was still a a teenager in this era. And I remember Romeo and Juliet, directed by Baz Luhrmann, also starring Claire Danes, was like all the teenage girls knew, you know, like the the scene with him (laughs) looking at Claire Danes through the fish tank. And you're just like, oh, I get it. That's my guy. There was a lot of that. You know, those photos were in lockers and... 
once you had the teen crowd, I feel like that built the anticipation for Titanic. And so a lot of people did go see Titanic because of Leonardo DiCaprio. I certainly did. Yeah. <laughs> is it fair to say that this is like the peak of like Tiger Beat? Yes. Yes. Totally. And like, like right J13, there yeah. were so many different kinds of magazines of that nature where there was like a literal pullout yeah, right. sort of mm-hmm. centerfold teen boy. And I feel like every <laughs> other magazine was like Leonardo DiCaprio, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, maybe throw Devin Sawa in there if it's a weak month. <laughs> Respect but- Devin Sawa. By the way, Devin Sawa is on Twitter being great. He's active. He's he is, wonderful. I, I, you love to see it, you know, 30 or 20 years <laughs> later. He's, he's finding his way. But mm-hmm. yes, Leo was at the forefront of that. And Obviously, Titanic was just a total sensation and made a ton of money and won Oscars and was a technical feat at the time, though, if you rewatch it now, that boat looks so fake, but whatever. (laughs) Don't tell Jim Cameron that. I know, (laughs) but it really does. I mean, I guess, like, we've achieved a lot in 20 years. We should all feel proud of ourselves. I still get spooked when that guy hits the propeller. That's tough. That hurts. Yeah. (laughs) But a part of Titanic's sensation and success was that people went to see it over and over and over again in theaters. And I don't have the data on this, but I can tell you anecdotally, that is 100% teen girls going to see Leonardo DiCaprio over and (laughs) over and over again. And I know because I knew all of them. (laughs) Kate, how many times did you see it in theaters? Four. Okay, yeah, there we go. That seems like average. But Andrew, that seems like a very normal, if you're under the age of, 18 seems like a normal amount of times to have seen Titanic in theaters. Well, what else are you going to do? Exactly. (laughs) I didn't even, like, I didn't have cable. It was either watch reruns of 90210 or look at my book, like, read books. Read books? (laughs) (laughs) Or go to the actual movie theater. Kate, you mentioned, like, the unauthorized biographies of Leonardo DiCaprio, but that's true. Before the internet... They just had to publish weird books. You couldn't mm-hmm. go look at fan blogs. Yeah. I definitely, I don't know if I had them. My friend Katie, who will be listening to this, has like a full collection. I went to her house like 10 years ago and her mother had preserved it. And we're talking like 10 books about Leonardo I have, DiCaprio. I have a VHS tape <laughs> sitting on my desk that is an <laughs> unauthorized bio of Leo, but Can I'm I yet to why? see it. <laughs> I found it in my fiance's like basement yes! and I was like, I need to bring this yeah. home. And I've yet to actually see it because nobody I know owns a VHS player. I know. For all the young people listening to this, it it was really real. In the late 90s, you had to work <laughs> in order to have an internet boyfriend. You actually you had to purchase you had to pay money and you had to use several different types of technology, including books and VHS. And I I distinctly remember so I mean, the internet did exist at this point, but it was very, it was dial up. It was slow. I would go into my dad's office in Chicago because he had better internet than Mm -hmm. we did at my house so that I could look at like fan pages, like uh, the GeoCities (laughs) rudimentary fan pages. And and it was, I would take a train (laughs) to do this. That was that oh, was that Kate, was what it really special. meant to be. A I'm feeling fan. so yeah. old right now. Did you ever print them out, Kate? Yes, I yeah. yes I did because we also used to 
like put our hands on the copy machine and stuff near the printer. Sure, like, yeah, I just of course. Classic. Why not? Wow. God, this the 90s a, so good. This is <laughs> the 90s podcast so fast. Yeah. yeah, no, this is very weird. But one time I actually copied the Leonardo DiCaprio unauthorized biography at my dad's work, like pictures of it, and then okay. put it around because I like wanted to make sure everyone knew about Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio. Okay. So I was in. I was in. I, I was invested. That, I think that's a really great encapsulation of where Leonardo DiCaprio was, circa Titanic, because yeah. it is. It's a very different type of fame from, say, Brad Pitt's level of fame. And I, I want to talk briefly about it. And you, we were all a little young for this. I think that I kind of, Brad Pitt has always been a movie star in my consciousness, which is just kind of interesting way to think about it. But he obviously, his big breakthrough was Thelma and Louise, where he's playing like a similar heartthrob role, but it's kind of like a full grown man heartthrob, you know? Mm-hmm. This is for adults. Yeah. It doesn't have right. that tiger beat aspect to it. Excuse me, ma'am. Uh, I asked which direction you're heading. See, I'm uh, trying to get back to school. My ride fell through, and well, I'm kind of stuck here like stink on stink. So I was thinking that uh, you're going my way or I was going your way. I think we're going to Oklahoma City, but I'm not sure. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd appreciate it much. Um, and that's in 1991, and then really Brad Pitt is just like car. the really hot, grown man guy in movies for, I mean, I would say for four decades, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> but it's it's interesting because, you know, that's a 91 and he spends the 90s just like being in great movies that you would go see. And Leo breaks through in a teen way and then is clearly really uncomfortable with it and spends a lot of time trying to avoid it or trying to reinvent himself. At least that was my interpretation of it. I always felt that Leah wasn't the most grateful of our appreciation, Kate. Did you ever feel that? Well, I just, I found this website recently yes. that collects all of these different 90s interviews with Leo. I shared it with you guys. And rereading the interviews was really wild because it was so apparent how bewildered and not enthusiastic about his heartthrob status he mm-hmm. was. And He seemed kind of panicked. You know, he grew up in like this hippie household. I think he wanted to be a character actor and then found himself sort of thrust in this position. And it's quite a position to be in. Yeah. I don't really blame him, to be honest. I I was going to say, yeah, it's understandable. He was, I get the sense that he's always sort of looked to like Jack Nicholson and Robert De Niro Mm -hmm. as as his models of the kind of career that he's wanted. And so, you know, teen girls are not putting up posters of Robert De Niro, you know? That's true. <laughs> Wait, it, were, like, were they in the 70s, though? Like, with Nicholson I, and stuff? I don't know. <laughs> we I guess get a I real mean, old like, person on. Yeah. You should have asked her <laughs> <laughs> We're not that old for everyone listening. <laughs> but, you know, especially De Niro always seemed like a, he came in at the grown man level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As opposed to like when you think of like old timey teeny boppers, I think of the Beatles, right? But no, I, I think that's a good comparison that I he wanted to be a serious actor and and idolized those 70s movie stars. And he also seemed has never really warmed back up to Titanic, which yeah. you know, if there you was look a at, new story this week, right? Yes. <laughs> he right. wouldn't he wouldn't <laughs> answer the question about about um 
dying on the bed. Yes. And he's from, just not, and literally he's from, not having it. From Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie on camera. You can <laughs> yeah. watch that video. We'll share it. So, yeah, he's there was also a great interview with DiCaprio, Tarantino, and Brad Pitt in Esquire this year where— there's a whole long thing about how Leonardo DiCaprio is like, I've never been in a movie that takes place over the course of a couple days. And then Tarantino, <laughs> the movie nerd, is like, uh, Titanic. Yeah. And <laughs> he's like, oh. And, and right. Leo's like, oh, you know, basically trying to pretend like it never happened. But you can understand it a little. It, it was such a big deal. It doesn't, it is more of a crowd-pleasing blockbuster than, say, some of the movies he makes later. And I'm sure it was dispiriting in not dispiriting, but kind of just overwhelming in terms of the level of fame and the level of attention. So, Kate, would you like to tell us a little bit about how he processed that level of fame and engaged with it? Yes, he formed a sort of protective circle around himself. Um, a sort <laughs> Andrew's of, already um, laughing. <laughs> <laughs> he formed a squad, a posse. They call themselves the Pussy Posse because they were young men who liked to go out on the town and mix it up with the ladies. And he sort of made these very close friends. Uh, Toby Maguire uh, of Spider-Man fame yes. <laughs> is is probably the most famous, but it's also, there's quite a few. It's like Kevin Connolly, uh, who would later go on to be in a fictional, basically, version yeah. of this on Entourage. David Blaine, the, mu- the magician. Of course. Uh <laughs> Lucas Haas, yes, the Andrew, my guy. <laughs> I love Lucas. He's Haas. actually having a pretty good time, like career-wise. J.R. Ferguson, best known as Stan on Mad Men. Sarah Gilbert was like an sort of. They member. have yeah. They the way that I understand it is there are like solid set <laughs> set members who are like the founding members, mm-hmm. and then they have sort of like honorary distinctions. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Gilbert's one of those. Q-tip is is yeah, another Q-tip, one. Q-tip, you know. Okay, so I'm just going to interject right here. Number one, we should say that we are not experts on any of this. This is all according to, it's a very famous piece by yeah. Nancy Jo Sales in New York Magazine in 1998 where she establishes the Pussy Posse. And this is the stuff of Hollywood legend. So we're making our best guesses, but they definitely did roam around Hollywood in the late 90s having a great time. And Kate, that kind of became Leo's persona for a while, right? Yes. I mean, it has really, I think, also currently played into his current persona with romance in that he's never really had a super serious girlfriend who he seems to respect as an equal. He seems more focused. I I don't (laughs) think that we can channel the inner workings of Leo's mind and know about whether he's respecting people or not. What we can say is that aside from dating Giselle, which we'll talk about, Mm -hmm. he does seem to date a certain type of woman who is often younger than him, and he has never been married, and he's mostly seen with these girlfriends on tropical vacations and doing water sports and having a nice time. The lifespans of said relationships are somewhat short. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I should, he probably respects them. They're, the current girlfriend's a great actress, actually, but he doesn't seem to be that committed. What is her I name? Say. Let's say her name. Camille Marone. Camille okay, Marone. Great. great actress. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I like we her. do respect them. <laughs> I do. I like her, though. Um, yeah. Yeah, so 
he just he became sort of the king of the bro the Hollywood bros with the pussy posse. Right. And he has never really deviated from that. And apparently in recent years, uh they've they've reconvened and rechristened themselves the Wolf Pack, which is I suppose a more PC term. Is it isn't that a reference <laughs> to the hangover? Yeah, I think <laughs> I whether, guess it's, whether I guess it's on purpose PC, or not. But I guess it's relatively more PC. I think this is that's Jonah Hill's influence. Yeah. It, I mean, this is all 1998 was a different time in a lot of ways in Hollywood, in paparazzi coverage, in what people would tell reporters. Honestly, can you imagine anyone being like, yes, we have a group of friends. They're called the Pussy Posse now in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like Justin Bieber, maybe on a, on a weird day, sure. might, might make that <laughs> yes. stuff up. But no, it's interesting. Yeah. And he does that for... I mean, he's still doing it, but he is kind of so his response to Titanic is to become the Hollywood party guy and then mm-hmm. also just start making a lot of movies with Martin Scorsese. It's quite a run that he and and with other directors, but he seems to be like, now I'm only doing serious movies like Gangs of New York, The Aviator, The Departed. I mean, it's really a run. And then he's serious at work and then has fun. On his off time. Like, as we all should. As we we all should. Great work-life balance. Today's episode is brought to you by Luminary, a new podcast subscription service with some of the best content around. I'm excited about Luminary because it's the only place you can listen to the newest show on the Ringer Network, Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 1999. In 1999, a music festival took place in upstate New York that became a social experiment. There were riots, looting, and numerous assaults, and it was set to a soundtrack of the era's most aggressive rock bands. Incredibly, it was the third iteration of Woodstock, a festival known for peace, love, and hippie idealism. But Woodstock 99 revealed some hard truths behind the myths of the 1960s and the danger that nostalgia can engender. Along with Woodstock 99, Luminary gives you access to a bunch of other original shows from innovative, dynamic creators you can't find anywhere else, like our spinoff, The Rewatchables 1999. The Luminary app is free to download, and in addition to the can't-miss originals, you can use it to listen to thousands of podcasts, including this one. Whether you're into music, TV and film, comedy, sports, or more, Luminary has the right show for you. Check out Woodstock 99 and so much more, only on Luminary. And get your first two months of access to Luminary's premium content for free when you sign up at luminary.link slash dish. After that, it's only $7.99 per month. That's luminary.link slash dish for two months of free access. Luminary.link slash dish. Cancel anytime. Terms apply. This is an interesting time. And it, let's talk about Brad Pitt because it's an interesting comparison. And Kate, you mentioned his that he has always dated famous women. And Mm -hmm. he really is kind of like this serial celebrity monogamist. And (laughs) basically starting in the late 90s, he he is engaged to Gwyneth Paltrow. There's that famous moment when they have the matching haircuts, which was just an all-time great experience for everyone. And then they break up, and then pretty soon he marries Jennifer Aniston. And this is, that's... I think that's the late 90s because he's on mm-hmm. Friends in like 2000 or 2001 because he yeah. wants to do a nice thing for his wife. And they're a lovely power couple. And then, of course, the scandal heard around the world, Brangelina, which I like. I don't really think that we can underestimate in celebrity terms how ground-shaking Brangelina was in terms of just tabloids because it kind of 
Us Weekly reinvented itself and became what it is because it covered Brangelina and kind of how we all consume celebrity news changed as a result. Our concept of power couples um, and celebrity couples, which was definitely, you know, the portmanteau was a thing. It still is, I guess, even though we've run out of good combinations. Did Brangelina come before the Ben Affleck Benifer? Like, was Benifer the first one or was Benifer? Benifer was the first one. And we actually, we did a, another podcast on a Ringer Dish about Benifer. I did it with Julia and Amelia, so you guys should check that out. But yeah, that was the first one. And then I think Brangelina is when it's like two is a trend. Yeah, like <laughs> Benifer <laughs> walked so Brangelina yes. could fly. Yeah. Exactly. Because the other thing about Benefer, which I had forgotten until we did this podcast, is like they, they were really only together for six months. It was really up and down the whole time and was a mess. And the thing about Brangelina was that you had one marriage breaking up. You had another come together. You had three unbelievably famous people. You had the real sexist team Jolie, team Aniston aspects of it, which I, I, I say that like I didn't, you know— have opinions and wasn't super invested in it, which I was. Like, we're what all team here. were you? <laughs> uh, I was partial to the Aniston of it all. Not, I'm sorry, not the Aniston. What am I saying? I was partial to the Jolie of it all. I started saying An- Aniston wow. Angelina. I, I mm. mean, I'm here for the drama, you know? We have <laughs> yeah. a freaking podcast about And it was, uh, it was so fascinating. I'm here for the drama, obviously. <laughs> I, I'm also here for men taking responsibility for their actions. So... <laughs> I don't really, I, like, Brad Pitt was the one married to Jennifer Aniston, just for the record. And I just really like Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I think that's a good yeah. movie. I, I think that's movie. the, that's the yeah. main thing of why I'm <laughs> team, on Team, team Angelina. Mr. You know, yeah. okay, I was hardcore on Team Angelina. And yes, I am aware that this is a harmful framing, but whatever. I was on Team Angelina, but all these years later, I might be Team Aniston. <laughs> It's tough. I went back and reread the Vanity Fair article that Jennifer Aniston did after the divorce. It was like, finally, Jennifer speaks. And, you know, she's in that white shirt, I think, you know, on the cover. Mm -hmm. And she makes the famous comment about missing a sensitivity chip. That stuff is is brutal. And again, is far more candid than I think anyone would be in 2019, which is fascinating. It's fascinating the extent to which we know so much about both of these people and their lives because both the coverage was more interested in them and it like it somehow is less managed. Even though I think it was super managed at the time, it's just, I can't imagine Jennifer Aniston sitting on the cover of Vanity Fair and crying to a reporter and being like, here's what happened in my love life anymore. It just, it's, just doesn't seem like it would happen. Well, I'm trying to think because it, it also feels like it's important to note like the mediums through which we got all this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm trying to like, Brad Pitt would be in the notes app. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> if Chrissy Teigen and John Legend, God forbid, mm-hmm. separated or something this huge, if John yeah. Legend then started dating Cardi B or whatever, yeah, like this would all play out on social media pretty quickly. I feel like, yeah. And I, agree with I that. don't know. There's some sort of like mysticism that it's in glossy magazines. I think also, because this, you know, since this is technically a podcast about Brad Pitt, he would bear a lot more responsibility for what happened in 2019. He really did not. Back in the day, it was, you know, there was the terrible stuff about how 
there are all these rumors about how Brad Pitt wanted kids and it, Jennifer Aniston was like, quote, too focused on her career. So she wouldn't, which I, I can't even believe I repeated that because it's so toxic and sexist. But that was a part of the conversation at the time. And he, it really was Jennifer versus Angelina. He was just kind of the vehicle for a lot of this. And I think, Kate, I, I think that would be different now. I think so, too. Although I do think that one of the reasons why Brad got a bit overlooked in the whole thing is because, frankly, Angelina Jolie and Jennifer Aniston are more interesting celebrities. Wow. Um, this is yeah. Brad Pitt's slander, and I really, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I just I, said that he was responsible for this, which he is. <laughs> it takes two to tango. But, like, don't— you know, don't come to my house and say that about Brad Pitt. Please don't. He's responsible, but he—and I'm not knocking his acting or charisma, but I don't know. If I was going to have dinner with anyone in, out of those three people, he would be last on the list. Wow. I got to mm. be honest. I'm sorry. Andrew, what's your ranking for dinner uh, ranking? I think it's Angelina. or No, no, it's Brad, Angelina, oh, Jennifer. It's mine as well. I was just well. going to talk That's about freaking well. couches the whole time. <laughs> I want to hear about the couches. I do want to hear about his couches. <laughs> I want to talk I, about R&B with Brad Pitt. <laughs> would like to talk about architecture with Brad Pitt. I... But Kate, I think he's so charming. Mm-hmm. I think that that's such an essential part of his appeal. And I think that's part of why he's a great actor and part of why he's been a celebrity for so long is I just find him so, he lights up. He has charisma. It's like palpable. No, I feel you, he like I even... was mean to him. <laughs> I'm okay. not, I just think I mean, that. Well, I was about to be mean to Leonardo DiCaprio because I don't <laughs> feel that he has the same charisma. I think you put your your finger on it when you said mm-hmm. he wanted to be a character actor and he's mm-hmm. been trying to get back to that character actor situation his whole life. And like, and maybe honestly he has with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I'm interested in the glamour. I'm interested in the charm. This is a podcast about movie stars. I I feel like that is what's appealing about Brad Pitt. But you don't pick up on that? No, I do. I feel like I was slandering Brad a little. He, It's not that he's not charismatic or interesting. I just think that Angelina seems like such a character. I actually would want to have dinner with her because I think it would be just a spectacle, not because I think she'd be. <laughs> so a you're great doing this for journalism and not yeah. for for personal enjoyment. Well, for her, Aniston, I think would would actually be the most fun to hang out with, and Brad's just sort of in the middle. So it's not. I don't mean to slight Brad. I just find both of those women to be very, very interesting, and him to be pretty interesting. Yeah, in terms of having things to share, information that I'm interested in, I would agree with you. But in terms of experience, I would want to hang out with Brad Pitt, which, you know, is maybe a great summary for the different ways that we respond to celebrity. I think Mm -hmm. what's interesting is also at this moment, career-wise, this is the Oceans era. And Mm -hmm. he's doing Oceans, he's doing Troy, he does Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and obviously that's where he he meets Angelina Jolie. But he's kind of coasting on the Brad Pitt charm as well. And that is, that's both his movie star, that's like his career persona, and he's getting away with a lot off screen, as we've learned. And it's funny how the Brangelina thing affects his career, because after it, he starts getting, he starts getting pretty weird. And there's like, you know, there's the Legends of the Fall and then Fight Club Brad Pitt. Then there's Ocean's Brad Pitt. 
And then there's like the assassination of Jesse James and Bird <laughs> after reading and Inglorious Bastards and like Tree of Life Brad Pitt where he's experimenting and doing things that he thinks are interesting is what it seems like. But it does seem like all of the very public celebrity, like the intense Brangeline of it all. I mean, they couldn't go anywhere for, I mean, a decade really, but especially like in the mid 2000s, it was so intense and he was so famous that he seems to have responded to it by being like, well, I don't have to do movie star roles anymore. And it's it's just interesting to me how the off-screen stuff can really affect the choices that people make in their careers. Because I think it was true of Leo with Titanic. And it kind of, you know, the Brad Pitt as an actor as we know him now is, I think, really different from Mr. and Mrs. Smith era. Andrew, do you disagree? No, I think you're I think you're right. I think it's also interesting to look at Angelina's filmography alongside oh, yeah. Brad's because yeah. they kind of coincide in the way that they get a little more serious and take on things that are quote unquote more more important. Mm-hmm. She has like she has like Changeling and A Mighty Heart and In the Land of Blood and Honey. Right. Didn't she direct one of those too? Like I feel like this is definitely in the land of blood and honey. Yeah, yeah when where, they were they were buckling down and trying to make a difference in the world instead of right. just being celebs. Yeah. Okay, so this is probably a bad takeaway morally, but <laughs> good stuff. <Love> it. <laughs> I feel Can't like wait. so. So like the horrors of paparazzi and overwhelming fame really made Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's careers better and more interesting. So yes. maybe the lesson here mm-hmm. is that the paparazzi are good. For <laughs> art. <Well>. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean. For art, not for life. I for art. I think one thing that's important to note, I, I think what you said about fame making them both make interesting decisions is definitely true. I think a little bit of that is that they're just like two classically handsome white guys in, mm-hmm. in an area where, in a, in a time in Hollywood where that just meant you could do whatever you wanted. And there were just more roles for them. There's also the thing of once you get really famous, then you can start doing the things that you want to do. So I guess in that sense, the paparazzi helped. I, <laughs> I... Uh, again, this is a podcast that is in large part built around things we know from paparazzi photos, so I can't pretend to be above it. I think that I just, I'm reluctant to to be like, it's objectively good. How about that? I'm uh, yeah. Fair. I'm just saying <laughs> it's, it, it, it's good for me as a viewer. It's not good yeah. for them, obviously. So do you think, is that still true? That people get really famous now and then they do the interesting stuff? Like uh, Chris Evans, how are we feeling about his career post-Captain America? I, I don't know that he's making the right decisions, but he's certainly trying to be more serious. He's not yeah. necessarily my guy when I think about that. I think about Shia LaBeouf, who I really liked in American Honey, who I think is a good actor and who sort of transitioned from child stardom and like the Transformers series into this sort of mode. Yeah. Shia has had some ups and downs, though. Shia is also a real example of the ways in which the paparazzi can... I know. Completely undermine. Yeah, and that sort of thing that it is remarkable that some that Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt have for the most part avoided the pitfalls. Though I guess, you know, we just talked a lot about their peak movie star stuff and we should talk about kind of the the post movie star phase which 
they're both kind of in right now. I mean, they're they're Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. They're two of our generation's greatest movie stars, but they have been a little bit more in the margins the last few years, which is why Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is such an occasion for us. And they have for different reasons. And obviously Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie split up and that was ugly. And then he did an interview with GQ talking about how he was in a bad place and his struggle with substances. And he's kind of... He's worked through that and seems to be on the other side of it, which is great. And, and in a lot of ways, I, I wouldn't call it a comeback. I don't think you can have a comeback if you're Brad Pitt because you're so famous. But narratively speaking, it was this is an up point after a few down years. Is that fair to say, Andrew? Yeah. I mean, he went through some, like, real-life shit where mm-hmm. it was— you know, the story's coming out where the the fight on the plane and there's a literal FBI investigation about his parenting. Like, that's that's real, real-life stuff. That's not just, like, a celebrity is making news. So right. he—and he did kind of recede a little bit. You know, he had Allied, I think, was the movie. Um, that was a really tough one. With Marion yeah. Cotillard? Yeah. Marion Cotillard, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and— I think that's the worst Brad Pitt performance I've ever seen. (laughs) Uh, No, I do. And I like as a fan of his and, you know, you can I think that came two months came out two months after the plane incident and his the announcement Mm -hmm. of his divorce. So, you know, it's and there there was some messed up stuff around that where it's like, oh, they must have gotten divorced because he and Marianne Cotillard are dating. I remember that. Right. So it was like this this literal, literal uh, dark period. And. At least as a as an actor and as a celebrity, Kate, when we were preparing for this, you pointed out he has been a really successful producer. Yeah, and I think he definitely deserves credit for that. Mm-hmm. Like Plan B is doing some amazing work, and yeah, yeah may, and maybe he wants to be transitioning into a behind the scenes role more. Like maybe he's just only gonna be in a movie once every five years from here on out. I don't know. So he does deserve credit for that, but yeah. He's 55 years old. He looks amazing. My guy's 55. (laughs) I've never seen a 55-year-old look (laughs) like in the history of time that looks like this. And, you know, and Leonardo DiCaprio is a bit younger, but is still, he's 44, a bit younger. That's so rude. Uh, (laughs) He's he's younger. Well, Brad looks so good that they basically look like contemporaries now. Right. Yeah. But they're reaching... The age where you're not automatically a leading man in the conventional romantic sense, which doesn't really matter because no one makes those movies anymore. Yeah. But that sense of the stories about you, it's not always the case. So you're right that they have to, you know, they're figuring out different things. It's it's interesting to compare Brad's last three or four years to Leo's last three or four years. Andrew. How would you describe Leo's last five years? Um, well, so at the beginning of this period, we have him finally winning an Oscar and sort of like bringing a close to this period of like desperate Leo, I think. Like screams internally is one of the better memes ever made. That's just Leo's face at a Golden Globe, I think, after not winning an award, and it's just right. him sort of closed mouth smirking. So he he wins. He finally wins 
an Oscar and it's like a huge triumph for him, you can tell that it's a big deal for him. I Even think though like, it's the most boring Oscar speech yes, of all time. Yes. It's terrible. And I'm sorry, Kate. It sucks. <laughs> Wait, are you talking about The Revenant? Yeah. I hate that movie. Yeah. No, it's not even the movie. <laughs> oh, I don't even I care about the though. movie. I care about Leonardo DiCaprio's Oscar speech after like 20 years yeah. of, oh, why won't they give Leo an Oscar? He's one of our greatest actors. And it was the most boring speech I've ever seen. But there is this, there's like a video, you could probably go and find it, of him standing there while they etch his name into the trophy. And he's just like, he's kind of like a kid. I don't know. He's just like, you could feel how badly he personally needed the award. I'm happy for him. So, I wish he got it for a movie I liked, but I'm happy for him. After yeah. <laughs> after that, though, it's like a weird lull and like a dark period where he's not doing that much. He's sort of like, he's dived into environmentalism. I mean, yeah, let's... <laughs> He has been like really going for that. Like he's oh, been yeah. all over. You know what? He's got I, a whole I, nonprofit. I honestly, the environment needs help. Thank, thank you, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. The, the only thing about it is that I mean, it is like the greatest crisis facing our generation. No yes. joke. So I appreciate it. But he, it's so boring. He somehow has made yeah. it, made this like really dire, dire situation and like really earnest work dedicated to it it just seemed really boring he's Wait, so boring about it he had this has been a pretty good time for leo memes well that's what i that was what yeah. i was leading to <laughs> like the fact that there isn't actual leo content on the screen has now led to the fact that he's literally um like i think there's a whole cottage industry of leo memes just based on instagram or not instagram sorry paparazzi photos where like the screams internally thing happened kind of simultaneously with him running around with a squirt gun, mm -hmm. which is one of the better <laughs> paparazzi photos I've ever was, seen. Is that contemporaneous with the Jonah Hill? Uh, him, yeah, him like sneaking up on the, Jonah yeah, Hill with an iPhone. The, the yeah, that's wolf like pack, as they're known now. Okay, and oh, that's, that's like after. that's so. I think this is like the peak of like Summer Leo. Yeah, Summer where, Leo. Is yeah. So inspirational. Where like he's the original riding, hot boy summer, yeah. really. <laughs> he's riding around on city bikes like every day and yeah. just being photographed on city bikes and like blowing huge smoke clouds of mm -hmm. vape into like Battery Park. Yeah, I was going to say that the defining image of Leonardo DiCaprio in the last five years, to me, it's just water sports. Yeah. It's, you know, either him with that little jetpack thing that you go above <laughs> yeah. the water or on a boat, or it's just Leo having a great time in the water, which is, you know, jam session's number one interest. When yeah, I see when I see that photo of him riding that jetpack, I think that is what a celebrity <laughs> should be doing. Like, that to me, he has reached the goal. That is what you should do if you're that famous. Ride a freaking water jetpack. I wish I was doing that right now. <laughs> yeah. And— Andrew, to your point of him idolizing kind of 70s people, and you mentioned Jack Nicholson, and it does kind of seem yeah. like it's that's the model. He's like, basically, he is both Jack Nicholson at Lakers games and, you know, living a great life, which is what Jack Nicholson does. But he's also basically Jack Nicholson's character from Something's Gotta Give. That's the Nancy <laughs> Myers movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I think someone will write a play about him in his 70s, I hope. Yeah, he, it's true. He's just, he's made it through the celebrity wilderness and now just gets to have a nice time. 
and make movies like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which it seems I'm really excited about. It's interesting, like, the meta-ness of this movie that they're both commenting, you know, this movie is about Hollywood and in a lot of, we haven't seen it yet, by the way, I should just say that, but Mm -hmm. our understanding of it is that it's about Hollywood 50 years ago and events that happened then, but as always with a Quentin Tarantino movie is commenting on how we connect to the movies and how we connect to the fame. And so it's interesting that they're both at a place where they're like actually willing to participate in that. I wouldn't have said that either of them is really the most self-reflective of celebrities. Kate, do you disagree? (laughs) No, I think I agree. Honestly, it's hard to say. I feel like I actually don't know what Leonardo DiCaprio's personality is like at all. And yet Um, he's your favorite celebrity. Why is that? Because he's like this cipher that I can project all this shit onto. (laughs) I think that's on purpose. I think since, since that Leo Prince of the City, the Nancy Jo Sales piece, there's kind of been like, a huge course correction for him where he's he's cemented the people around him and been like, I'm going to be close with eight people. I'm going to be close with my mom, close with my dad, and I'm not going to really give anyone else anything. Mm-hmm. And, like, he'll do an interview, but you'll read it and you'll be like, I don't. I'm not any closer to knowing this guy. No. And like the big rumor about him is about how distant he is in, in romantic relationships. <laughs> that's the most Do you want to get specific? A way of putting it? That's really a generous way of putting it. You know what? Let's 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 keep it classy. Yeah. We've yeah. got to classy thus far. If you would like to we've Google talked about it. this before yeah. on jam session. Google Leonardo DiCaprio uh romantic rumors. I'm sure you'll find it. Yeah. Yes, distance yes. is a good yes. way of putting it. But Kate, mm-hmm. I'm interested. Say more of why that appeals to you because he's a cipher. Because is that more? Does that appeal to you more as an actor, as a celebrity, as both? Uh, I like as a celebrity. It feels different now because we're in this age where the younger stars are so available on social media and are always trying to deliver this narrative to their fans about who they are. And he just seems really disinterested in doing that and way more interested in like riding water jetpacks. And I, yeah. I, I like it and I respect it. I hope I never meet him because I don't want to know anymore, really. Yeah. Andrew, what about you? I, yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's like, he's just this, like Kate said, you don't really know who he is. So the only updates you get are these, like, weird public moments where he's kind of, like, acting a fool. And he's also he's also one of the most recognizable movie stars we have, and yet he just loafs around in cargo shorts and <laughs> newsboy caps mm-hmm. and uh, baseball caps, <laughs> more specifically. And it's just, it's it's like this incongruous thing that I, for some reason, can't get enough of. And he's more than happy to be photographed like playing beach volleyball. He's willing to play like a very specific celebrity role and then otherwise just have a nice time, which I guess Brad Pitt a little less so given what he's gone through in the last five years. But it's the same thing where they neither of them really has to be out in public that much anymore. They don't really have to give that many interviews except for the ones that they're contractually obligated to give to promote movies but they were just, they were so famous for so long and kind of have held on as movie stars that now they just really get to enjoy it. And it's fun. It, it 
it seems reasonably nice for them and it's nice for us as well. There's not a lot of work going into it, either as them or as as people who are interested in them, which is nice. Yeah, they're I mean they're they're now like hanging out with their friends yeah. to make movies. That would be great. That's a goal for all of us. Here's my last question for you guys. Is there an equivalent to these guys, to Brad Pitt or Leonardo DiCaprio today, either kind of in the in their early fame mold? Like, who is there someone who you're like, oh, that's the next Leo? Or is there someone who is kind of doing the same thing fame-wise? Or are they kind of two very special, unique snowflake movie stars? <laughs> Hmm. I I was trying to think of like a comparison and, and I just like can't. Like you brought up Tom Holland earlier. Mm-hmm. And I guess in terms of like age and level of fame, he fits, but he doesn't have this sort of like mystique. And part of that is the fact that I he looks like he still looks like a boy. He's a mm-hmm. Tobey Maguire, guys. <laughs> no shade to Tobey Maguire, but he's a Tobey Maguire. Well, he's like growing pains Leo at this point. I think like. that you're just saying that because of the the Spider-Man thing. Yes, that, that that's is rude. part Have of it. Have you seen the Spider-Man movies? Have you watched any of Tom Holland's content? I have I'm, to say he's, he's quite he's charming. He's great. I've literally never seen him in a movie. I barely he's, know who he is. He's, he's really charming, Kate. But he is also to Andrew's point, kind of playing along a little more than, like, part of being Spider-Man and part of being famous now is is doing the public act in a way that I don't think Leo or Brad ever had to do. And, in fact, shunned in a lot of ways. Yeah, and all the, like, if you look up the highest-grossing actors from 2019, they're all people in superhero movies, and they're all people Mm -hmm. who have to do this promo that definitely takes away some sort of uh, edge, I guess. What about Chalamet? Timothy Chalamet. I mean, he, he does have that sort of heartthrob thing that Leo had when Leo was really lanky, like the pre-Titanic Leo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, it feels, it, Lady Bird felt like some real Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm, vibes mm-hmm. to me of people being like, oh, this guy, and he's playing a certain type of a teen that you know, and then he's just going to be in 45 really great movies. <laughs> He he likes Frank Ocean as much as Brad Pitt does. I think Chalamet <laughs> is hard, though, because he doesn't have that roguishness. I feel like Chalamet is—he seems like su- such a sweetheart. Yeah. But do I, kids now want roguishness? I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. that's another Probably thing. Not. You know, it's like I, I don't know whether the same qualities apply. I feel like the earnestness is actually working in his favor. Yeah, yeah. but not in the same way that it's not—it's just different, you know? It's true. And it's also, like, I think Timothy Chalamet is going to be in Little Women, which is Greta Gerwig's new movie, and mm-hmm. which I think will do, like, actually really well. Yeah. And he's also going to be in Dune, which a lot of people, young people that we work with care about. I don't. Like, <laughs> he's he's in a lot of big deal movies, but none of those are going to be as big as Titanic. And to Andrew, I think you said at the beginning of the podcast this idea that some of it is just, like, we don't have the same mass market cultural products so you can't really get a Leo or a a Brad Pitt anymore. It's also just like in terms of Timothy Chalamet, like Leo and I think to a larger extent Brad Pitt sort of had this like Paul Newman thing or Robert Redford thing going on and Timothy Chalamet just doesn't. 
mm-hmm. just like wow. by the way he looks and by by the way he's literally shaped. He's got mm-hmm. a French ass name. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio has an Italian ass name. What are you doing? That's true. That's all right. But he looks, I don't know. There's something I just think that the he's never he's not a hunk. He's not gonna be a hunk. He's always going to be I think a like, lot of people said that about Leonardo DiCaprio in 1996. Yeah, I'm just going to be honest with you. Then he filled out. Do you think <laughs> well, yeah. was going to Well, out? you know, maybe the next generation of movie stars will fill out too. I think, I think what we're trying to say here, Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, twice in a lifetime stars. Yeah. They might be the last of their kind. I think they are. Yeah. Yeah. Which I Amazing. think is what this movie is a little bit about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll find, out when we see it, we'll find out. I like. I'm really depressed now because I want more Brad Pitts in my life <laughs> and Leos, but primarily Brad Pitts. If we're being really, really honest. All right, we will find out, guys. This has been great. Kate, Andrew, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Uh, thank thank you, you, everyone, for listening. We will be back with jam session later this week and tea time and more Ringer Dish in the future. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.